One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart, to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home, and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. You can be seated. I was having lunch with Sam today, and uh, I was telling him what I was going to be preaching on tonight on this passage in Luke, and he said, yeah, Mr. Bill Hughes gave a great teaching on that last spring in UCF. And so I kind of told him a little bit what this was about. He's like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what he was talking about. And so for, for those of you who were in UCF last spring and got to hear it, I'm sorry if this is anything like a repeat. Most of us were not there. So I can always only hope to be as good as Bill. So I want to get right into it in Luke 8. Verse 22 says, One day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. So this trip is initiated by Jesus. We're not told why, whether there was some really compelling reason to go to the other side of the lake, or if it was normal for Jesus and his disciples to just get in a boat and go. Just that one day, for reasons known to him, the master wanted to go to the other side of the lake. And being Jesus' chosen group, the twelve followed. The master always sets the itinerary. And if the master wants to go to the other side of the lake, then that's where they're going to go. And so they set out. Now, this kind of trip would make me 
very nervous. Uh, for one thing, I never feel very comfortable away from home. Even if it's somewhere that I really like to be, somewhere I enjoy, there's always this little nagging feeling that I'm not at home. I'm never more comfortable than it when I'm within the walls of my own house. I am really a card-carrying homebody. And I'm not ashamed of it, it's just it's the truth. And also, when I do go places, I want to know exactly where I'm going, I want to know how long I'm going to be there, and I want to know what I'm going to be doing while I'm out. And you'll notice that Jesus doesn't give any indication about any of this to his disciples when they set out. But if I'm away from home, I want to have a pretty good idea of what I'm going to run into while I'm gone. About a dozen years or so, uh, as part of a spiritual growth plan that a friend of mine put me on, uh, I dropped by Billy Henderson's house unannounced to say hello. And I don't, I don't mind people dropping in on me unannounced, but I don't like to do it to other people. And so this friend of mine, James Leitch, uh, he noticed this about me, that I didn't like to drop in on other people, that I don't like to bother people. And I am the kind of person who will text somebody and say, hey, can I call you, instead of just actually calling them, even though it's a phone, could just call. But I really don't like to bother people. And so to strengthen that muscle, uh, James challenged me to just drop in on people once a week, just unannounced, to show up at the door. And so I dropped in on Billy. And as Billy tends to do, after a couple of minutes, he said, come along with me, i got an errand to run. And if you know Billy, it's never just running an errand. And if you don't know Billy, you've been warned. If he tells you he's just running somewhere, it's never just that. You have to be ready for anything. Anything could happen. And if you're me, this is just the worst. And I was me. So we pulled into a parking lot uh, of a furniture company. It's called Royal Furniture. It's off Tiverton. It's not there anymore. And we were there, and after a few minutes, the owner came out, and it turns out that he and Billy knew each other. Surprise, surprise. And so they started talking. And after a few minutes, Billy introduced me, and the owner of the store said, so Kelly, what do you do? And Billy said, well, Kelly sells furniture. And the guy, his eyes got real big, and he said, oh, really? And I am not a fast thinker on my feet. I'm really not. So I couldn't think of anything to say. I didn't sell furniture. I'd never sold furniture in my life. And I couldn't think of how to answer this. And all I could think was, I was just trying to do what James wanted me to do. <laughs> I was just dropping in on Billy to say hello. And that is the last time I ever get in a vehicle with Billy Henderson. In other words, I like my side of the lake. I like my side of the lake. It's comfortable. It's familiar. There aren't any surprises. On my side of the lake, I feel like I have some control. And that might be why Jesus chose to take his disciples to the other side of the lake. Because not long after this chapter, Jesus sends the twelve out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he says... Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. They were going to have nothing but their mission, the authority that Jesus gave them, and their trust in Jesus. They were going to thoroughly invest themselves as missionaries in the gospel message. But first, 
Jesus gives them a taste of what it's like to be pulled out of what's comfortable and what's familiar. So verse 23, And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Now I have a hard time believing that it was just a mere coincidence that as soon as Jesus fell asleep, this windstorm came. And Luke wants us to know that the disciples really were in danger. I don't know about you, but you know, we read this story and Jesus says, where is your faith? And I think sometimes we hear in Jesus' words him saying, come on guys, it's not that bad. You know, why are you so worked up about? But Luke says that the boat was filling with water. There was water coming in the boat and that they were in danger. So I think we need to take that seriously, that they were actually in a tough spot. What we really want to pay attention to is how the disciples respond and what they say. So verse 24, And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, Mark's account takes it even further. As Mark tells it, the disciples say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? And so now we have a problem. Because not only is there this dangerous windstorm, but now the disciples are fighting on two different fronts. They're fighting two different battles. They're battling the windstorm, but they're also battling their own doubts about Jesus himself. They're what James calls double-minded in James chapter 1. And I think this is a good lesson for us. We always face windstorms in life. But particularly when we follow Jesus and go to the other side of the lake. Things often don't work out exactly the way that we hoped or that we planned. There are difficulties and challenges. And that's just part of living. We're always going to encounter those things. What we can't do in those times is question whether God is with us and whether God is for us. Because that's fighting two different battles. It's hard enough to fight the one battle of the adversity that we're going through. But if we also have doubts in our mind about God's intentions for us and if God cares about us, then we're fighting in two different directions. And so that's what the disciples do here. They question, can we trust Jesus with our lives here? Master, Master, we're perishing. Do you not care? And we might sometimes ask the same question when we're in the middle of the lake and our boats are filling with water. And the question of whether we can trust God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, was answered forever. It's been answered with a resounding yes. It's been answered with a resounding yes. That that question has been answered yes for all time. So Romans 8, 31 and 32 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Always yes. Can we trust the Father? Yes, yes. Yes, always yes. We never have to fight on two different fronts, our trials and our faith in God. Instead, we face our trials with the confidence that God knows and God sees, God cares, God is with us, 
and God is for us. Amen? Amen. There's a little, uh, just a short little verse. It's Psalm 56. The part of verse 9 says, this is right in the middle of a psalm where the psalmist is crying out about being attacked. It says, this I know, that God is for me. If you ever want to just memorize a short little verse that you can memorize in about 30 seconds, this I know, that God is for me. And I think this explains Jesus' response in the next couple of verses. So, continuing on in 24. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? In other words, guys, don't you trust me? Don't you trust me? I've called you to myself. I've brought you onto this lake. You're with me. I don't think Jesus is saying that they shouldn't have been concerned about the windstorm and what was going on. That they should have just ignored it or, oh, well, the boat's filling up the water. Who cares? I don't think he was saying that. What he's addressing is their doubts. Guys, do you trust me? Master, master, we're perishing. Do you not care? And I think Jesus is saying, whoa, you know, I brought you guys out here. You did not choose me. I chose you. Do you guys really not believe that I'm with you and that I'm for you? Do you have doubts about me and my intentions for you? You know, in a sermon, you have to say a lot of things. You don't get to 26 minutes if you don't. And there's a lot of stuff, that argumentation that builds on one another to, to reach a point. But if, there, there are just, if there's two things that I want you to take away from today, if you don't remember anything but two things, this is the first of two things, and it's this. Jesus says to us, if you're going to go with me, you've got to trust me. If you're going to go with me, you've got to trust me. Amen. And then this crazy trip to the other side of the lake gets even crazier with the other story about the demoniac. So verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. So you can imagine the scene. I think it's a very descriptive scene to imagine. As the boat nears the shore, this figure emerges from the tombs and starts to run toward the shore. And he's frothing at the mouth, and he's raving, and he's screaming, and he's lunging, and he's just waiting for the boat to get on shore so that he can do something to the people on it. And it's like nothing the disciples have ever heard in their whole life. And as the boat gets closer and closer to this man, one by one, the disciples start to creep slowly to the back of the boat until eventually you have 12 very grown men sinking the back half of the boat because they want to be as far away from this guy as they possibly can. That's what I'd do. I'd be trying to get away as quickly as I could. But not Jesus. Jesus steps onto land and the man meets him there. And the demon within the man is named Legion because many demons have entered into him. And yet Jesus is not outnumbered. Even though there are a lot of demons in this guy, Jesus is not outnumbered. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And three times the demons beg something of Jesus. 
they beg. They know that they are in the presence of somebody that they cannot control and that they cannot torment. And I think this is instructive for the disciples. Because as I mentioned, pretty soon Jesus is going to send them out with the authority to cast out demons. Even in situations like this. And they'll need to have confidence that the power that Jesus gives them is enough to do it. And so while the disciples had seen Jesus cast out demons before, they hadn't seen anything like this. They hadn't seen anybody so possessed and so dangerous as this guy. And I think this is instructive for us too. Because in Luke's gospel, Luke frequently mentions that Jesus did things in the power of the Holy Spirit. That he healed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he spoke in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he did miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's easy to read about those things that Jesus does and say, well, yeah, but he was God and, and I'm not, so I can't do those things. But Luke won't let you and I play the God card. He won't let us do it. Because Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit to do those things. That's his power for ministry. It's the same Spirit that fell upon the apostles at Pentecost. And it's the same Holy Spirit that you and I receive when we put our faith in Christ. It's the same Spirit that empowered Jesus for ministry. When Jesus gave the Twelve his authority to cast out demons, they needed to have it in their minds firmly that it was the same authority that could cast out the legion of demons. He was giving them what he had in himself. And we need to know that the Holy Spirit who dwells in us is the same Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus for ministry. Does that make sense? We don't get a percentage of His Spirit. We don't get Spirit light. We don't get the free version with the in-app purchases while Jesus had the premium version with everything unlocked. It's the same Spirit that Jesus had that He gives to us. So we can't be double-minded about whether God is with us. And we can't be double-minded about whether the Holy Spirit is energizing us with the same power that Jesus had. And so Jesus approaches the demon-possessed man, and he essentially says to his disciples, Guys, if I can do this, you can do this. And he says the same to us. So this is the other thing, that if you don't remember anything tonight, remember this. Jesus says to us, If I can do these things by the Spirit, you can too. If I can do these things by the Spirit, you can too. It's the same Holy Spirit. Amen? So Jesus casts out the legion. And now I want to skip down to the reaction of the townspeople. Because I always find this really interesting, how they, how they react. Verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. They didn't like it. They didn't like what they saw. Jesus came to their side of the lake, and they didn't like it. Jesus showed them how he could free people from sin and from bondage, and they didn't like it. They should have been relieved. Here is this guy that had terrorized the area, and now he's in his right mind, and he could do this for other people. He could free them. They should have been relieved, but they weren't. It made them uncomfortable, and so they asked Jesus to leave. 
And you see, you don't have to go to the other side of the lake to be uncomfortable. Sometimes you can be uncomfortable on your own side of the lake. When you see the possibility for transformation in your life and you don't like it, that's being uncomfortable on your side of the lake. John 1, 10 and 11 says, He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus left his father's side to go to the other side of the lake, if you will. And his own people did not receive him. Jesus was the fulfillment and the embodiment of everything in the Old Testament, everything in the scriptures. And even those who knew the scriptures inside and out did not recognize him. And they didn't just ask him to leave. They crucified him. And that could happen to us. As scary as it sounds, that could happen to us. Kingdom life flourishing all around us, and we want no part of it because it makes us uncomfortable and because we don't want to change. Because we don't really want to be transformed. We, we want to do the church thing. We want to be with our religious friends. But we don't deeply want to be transformed. That can happen to us. And that's a scary thought. So how can we prevent that from happening? How can we make it so that we're not so uncomfortable that when Jesus comes to us, we don't ask him to leave? I think we see it in the next verses that round out the story. Verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So this is one of the few guys in the New Testament who actually does what Jesus tells him to do. You have the leper that Jesus heals, and he says, go show yourself to the priest, and the guy blabs about it everywhere. This guy actually does what Jesus tells him. Jesus says to stay on his side of the lake and to declare how much God has done for him. And so he becomes a missionary to his own people on his side of the lake. And he has an irrefutable testimony, if you think about it. You know, he could go up to people and say, remember that guy who was naked and in the tombs and scared everybody? That was me. That's a powerful testimony. And Luke says he proclaimed it throughout the whole city, and I have to believe that that good news reached some people. The good news about what Jesus had done for him probably affected some people. Maybe not those who asked Jesus to leave, but maybe other people. Others who remembered what this man had been like, and they said, if there's someone out there that can change a man like this, then I want to know him, and I want him in my life. So how can we prevent becoming people who see Jesus' love and power and don't want any part of it? I think it's by never forgetting what it is that Jesus has done for us and sharing it with people. You have a testimony of God's involvement in your life. Every one of us has a testimony of God's involvement in our lives. Whether you were an absolute train wreck at some point and God pulled you out of the carnage, or whether you were born into a Christian family and have always known God, you have a story of how your life is different because of God's love in Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage us, refresh that story. Tell that story. Tell it often. Let's tell it to each other. We can't just assume that we know each other's story. The church has changed so much over the last couple of years. We have so many people, new people who have come in. They don't know our story. We don't know theirs. Let's, let's refresh those stories and tell those stories to each other. That keeps the grace that God has shown us close to us. It keeps grace from being an abstraction, some theological concept that sometimes registers, and it keeps us close to us. This is what God has done in my life. As one theologian put it, he said, when John Newton put the adjective amazing in front of the noun grace, he hit on a sound so sweet 
that we now recognize amazing as part of the definition of grace. Anyone who teaches a grace that is not amazing is teaching something that is not grace. Anyone that teaches a grace that is not amazing is teaching something that is not grace. Titus 3.3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We ourselves were once that. And if that's a picture of our life before being in Christ, then we have a story to tell that anyone can relate to. But it means being willing to do some things. And here's where I'll try to gather up some of the earlier points in the sermon. If we're going to do that, if we're going to share a testimony with people, it means being willing to follow Jesus to the other side of the lake. It means being attuned to where the Spirit is working and being willing to junk our schedules, abandon our comfort, and follow Him into the unknown. It means trusting that God is with us in the trials that we experience as we go. Our problems need to be clearly looked at and they need to be dealt with. But when we say things to God like, do you not care? Or we are perishing. Or we accuse Him of abandoning us. We're double-minded. We have to face all of our trials with the conclusion that God is with us 100%. If you're going to go with me, you've got to trust me. Jesus says that to us all the time. It means trusting that the spirit Jesus has sent and who dwells in us is the very same spirit that empowered Jesus to cast out demons, heal, and to confront the powers of his day. We may need to make more room in our lives for the spirit so that the spirit can bear fruit, but he's the same spirit. If I can do these things by the Spirit, you can too. Jesus says that to us all the time as well. And it means declaring all that Jesus has done for us, the amazing grace that he has poured out of us, never tiring of telling that story. Amen? Amen. Amen.